It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schellenberg. With me is Rachel Oyster, the co-chairs for Democrats Abroad in Canada's Capital Region here in Ottawa. Hello, Rachel. Hello, David. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, well, we're still, we are still in different rooms. Yes, I know. I, I miss sitting in the studio together. <laughs> I do, but I do love the heat wave that Ottawa seems to have. <laughs> you may be in the minority there. <laughs> We have the air conditioning on my house, not not by my choice, but my by my husband's. <laughs> well, I have every window open, so if you hear some noises, that's what that is. That's fine. <laughs> Who's with us today? Yeah, today, oh, I'm so excited about our guests today. In fact, we have been having some amazing guests, and I think I should say before we even plunge in, if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy the conversation, Go back and listen to the last one we had, which was with Ense Ufat, the executive director of the New Georgia Project, who's been working um, to register the 1.2 million people of color in Georgia who were not registered as they approached the gubernatorial elections in 2018. And they're working really hard to reveal Georgia's true color as a purple state. So mm. that was a fantastic conversation. I recommend it highly. Absolutely. I'll back you up on that. I was there. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I learned so much talking to her. And oh, we're going to learn a lot today, I think, too. And we are indeed. Today, we have with us Bruce and Vicki Heyman. Bruce is the former U.S. ambassador to Canada. And Vicki, his partner, was an American culture, cultural ambassador while they were here. And they are working hard with the Biden campaign. And, and I'm very excited to welcome them. Hello, Bruce and Vicki. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> Great to be here. Thanks for joining us. So some of the fundamental questions are, of course, where are you and what state do you vote in? Well, we yeah. vote in Illinois and we are currently in the mountains of Colorado as uh, as some people around the world would call it a cottage and we call it our cottage. Our cottage. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and uh, we're, we're enjoying the outdoors and doing the social distancing, but spending a lot of time here at, at the house. Yeah, that sounds lovely. We are now within 100 days until the election. And uh, tell us, when is the first time you two met Joe Biden? Oh, gosh, oh, I'm trying first to think. time we met Joe. We, we met Barack Obama in 2006. And, six. Ah. and Joe became the nominee, obviously, in 2008. So I think the first time we met Joe was probably before uh, Obama became president, but right prior to the during election, the campaign, during the campaign, on the campaign trail. On the campaign trail. Yeah. And um, he was doing a lot of um, surrogacy and speaking, um, you know, about the upcoming election. And then after the inauguration and the first term, we got to know him a little bit more. We had a wonderful opportunity to spend some in-depth time with him in 2000, I think it was 11, mm -hmm. um, in, in D.C. We were... Um, guests at one of the um interesting so this is an interesting this is a story so story. i'm glad you asked this oh, oh good. This <laughs> right off the bat with the joe story thank you so yeah. we we, <laughs> we actually got invited uh, as a result of some of the work that we did had done and the relationships we built we got invited to angela merkel's steak dinner oh, and wow. it was the first state dinner in the rose garden and we we clearly very excited. This is our first state dinner and ever, well, yeah, ever we right? And so shocked. So, shocked. Why did we got invited? <laughs> we actually were seated at one of the most interesting tables. And we were seated, uh, Vicky was seated next to uh, next Vice to President Vice Biden. President Biden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was seated in between Mitch McConnell and his wife. <laughs> Elaine Chow, current uh, transportation secretary. And right. so we, we spent the evening uh, with Joe and um, he did to talk about his humanity. I think there were two things. I'll talk about one and then Vicki, you could talk okay. about the other. One was when we were there and the uh, President Obama was making a toast to the Chancellor Angela Merkel. Mm -hmm. And everybody was standing up toasting to Angela Merkel and we get ready to sit down. And just before we sit down, Joe looks across the table at Mitch and he says, Mitch, I'd like to propose another toast. Oh my, yes. And everybody at our table is like looking at <laughs> Vice President and Mitch. 
And he says, Mitch, let's toast a compromise. Let's toast to working together. And so all of us clink glasses. Of course, I'm in one of those pinch myself moments. Like, did I actually just see this happen? And literally, and I think people will remember this. Just a few months later, we were at another one of those crazy impasses over uh, budget or debt extension. And Mitch was having a very difficult time with Harry Reid as they did. And he and Mitch said, I'm not going to negotiate with Harry Reid anymore. Uh-huh. And they said, well, who will you negotiate with? And he said, I'd like to negotiate with Joe Biden. Wow. Which was one of those moments that you think back and I and it, it talks about and describes Joe in a way of being a person who can mend and heal yeah. and bring us together. And it resulted in a compromise that Mitch made to get something done for our country. And it was one of those magical moments, but there was a softer, a a fun, cute story, story, another moment. Vice President Biden, who's so affable and so kind and just warm and real. And he said, so Vicki, tell me, how was your day? And I said, well, I went by the White House gift shop and I have to tell you that I bought myself a little bow. So in the White House gift shop, they had these little stuffed animals of bow that you could take home. And I thought the dog, the bow, uh, bow, uh, bow, oh, okay. I was wondering dog. what this was. Yeah. Yeah. Bow, 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 Obama's, Obama's dog. dog. Right. Oh. If you remember the Obamas had bow and then they had Sunny. Well, this was back in the early days. They just had bow. Yes. And he got a little twinkle in his eye and he says, Oh, well, that sounds like an interesting thing to do. We had a wonderful dinner. We talked on every subject. This was actually right after the bin Laden uh, raid. And we talked about the seriousness of that. We laughed and joked and, you know, we just had some wonderful c- private conversations as well. Just human to human. Yes. And I get home and in the mail comes this, personalized note from Vice President Biden <laughs> saying, you know, Vicki, I enjoyed sitting by you so much. We had such a great time. She said, there was only, there's only one thing missing now. And I opened this little box. And he says, you have to have a champ to go with your bow. <laughs> Their dog is champ. Yeah. And now I have a little bow and a little champ and a beautiful note, handwritten note from Vice President Biden um, sitting in a, um, at home in a, in a case. So they're living together on my, uh, you know, living together on my countertop. And it's just he's that's the kind of person he is like as busy a man as he is. Yes. He is thoughtful. He is kind. He's warm. And um, there have been there were so many incidences. You know, that was really just the beginning when we first got to know him. But in terms of working together while Bruce was uh, ambassador in Canada, some of the very serious and very complicated things that they worked on and how integrally involved Joe was in international affairs. You might want to speak. Yeah. Well, he swore us in. I was just going to ask about that. It was so funny because (laughs) I I get sworn in and he stands up and we're at the State Department in this uh, most amazing, beautiful room. And we have all of our friends and family and other diplomats that are there. And he swears us in. And I say us because he said, he he said to everybody, he says, I know Vicky and Bruce (laughs) and Canada is getting a twofer here. (laughs) And so it was so funny. And And a big big hug and a big smile. That is how he, you know, he, he really respects and honors people as individuals and he takes the time and energy to get to know people at a personal level. And it's not just the people that, you know, are working at a high level with him in government. I mean, there's countless stories and you probably read a lot of them, you know, just through postings on the internet of the kindness that he extends just to average people that he meets, whether it's a young person with a stutter or it's a person that is an elderly person that has supported him for years showing up and, you know, a time of need or um, for their families. He's just a legitimately good person, honorable, with great character and and judgment. And that's why we are so happy that he's actually the nominee. Um, and we are so happy to be supporting him and working hard, really, every single day here from our cottage mm-hmm. on the campaign. <laughs> we can talk more about that. <laughs> that's wonderful. So when you were here in Canada, um, did you have a chance to work with him? Did he come visit? There were actually several visits, visits, a couple of visits, Mm -hmm. but one uh, I'll tell, tell you about. 
and that is the Women's World Cup team and the Women's World Cup for soccer was held in Canada and yes. we were going city to city. And I, I was just enjoying the moment watching and traveling uh, with the U.S. team and celebrating and being the U.S. ambassador during that time. Well, it's time for the finals and it's in Vancouver. And I get noticed that the vice president is going to come. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just after his son had passed away. This would be his first international trip after his son had passed away. Right. Wow. And he comes and he brings his grandchildren, his son's children, and he brings um, uh, the Obama's daughter. And we're all together. Jill's there, uh, Dr. Jill Biden. And, you know, it's a sensitive and emotional time. And I had the opportunity to pull him aside um, when we were had a quiet moment during the game as we were watching it. And I said, Mr. Vice President, um, what are you going to do with regard to the upcoming election, mm-hmm. the 2016 election? Are you going to run? And I said to him, I believe that much of the Obama team would be there for him if he decided to run. And he expressed to me in the most sensitive, in you could feel the emotions just pouring out about how much pain he was still in as a result of his son's passing. And he was just verbalizing, but you could see it on his face, the emotional struggle of making that decision. And I do believe had those circumstances not happened in that way for him, that tragedy mm-hmm. that he probably would have run. But oh, really? this, this was, that was my sense. Mm-hmm. But my sense is that the pain that he had experienced was something that he was still uh, grappling with at that moment. And I think that he wasn't prepared to go down that path at that moment. And we all know he later decided that he was open to it. But I think the window uh, had passed with regard mm-hmm. to getting the nomination, et cetera. So but it was it was an incredible, you know, again, most of the times I'm with him. And by the way, he comes to that visit. And we also did a sidebar visit with Prime Minister Harper at the time. And it was all business and focused and really sensitive and understanding Canadians uh, role in the world, but also discussing some of the geopolitical issues that the U.S. was having. And it was a an, an incredibly constructive conversation in light of all those other emotions and coming for the World Cup and his first trip outside the United States mm-hmm. post his son's passing. And he was able to package that all together yeah, quite well. I, 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 oh, I was thinking very fondly um, about, it was at the very end of our time in Canada, December 2016, Trump had been elected. Um, and we, we um, I'll tell you kind of a funny story. I guess every morning, you know, the vice president would come into the president's office and they kind of do a debrief. What are you doing today? And Joe came into Barack's office and he, and he said, what are you doing today? And he said, well, I'm going to my state dinner. He said, you're doing what? He says, yeah, Canada's having a state dinner for me. Justin is throwing a little dinner party <laughs> tonight. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm taking off to Canada. And that's precisely what he was doing. Bruce and I met him at the airport. This was in a very cold, right at the end of our term, maybe, and yeah. I don't know the exact date, maybe two weeks, maybe right in the middle of December, let's yeah. call it, two weeks before Christmas. <laughs> and um, we picked him up at the airport, and we got in the car, and we drove downtown, and um, to the venue for the dinner and it was so warm and it was really at that point Bruce and I write about it in our book it was Joe saying you know we have a road ahead of us and we're passing this progressive torch on I mean Justin had been already then at that time had been prime minister for a little over a year right. a year and a couple months and you know Obama had spoken to parliament as you probably remember in uh, in end of June, beginning of July of 16. And there was historic when that happened. Historic, Mm -hmm. amazing feeling of united on so many fronts and this Mm -hmm. great progressive leadership. And it was obviously very disheartening and sad for this president and vice president to know that, you know, the U S government was going to be now leaning more um, conservative. And many of the things they'd worked on as we can see now have been, you know, rolled back and Mm -hmm. the struggle. And thankfully up North, you guys have, 
been continuing with uh, the good fight and it's done a lot of great work on so many, you know, progressive fronts. So Joe was right, I think, in making those comments, but there was just a lot of warmth and right. um, a lot of connectivity between the vice president and the prime minister and between the vice president's affinity for Canada. And, yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting. It's interesting because those two individuals, uh, Stephen Harper and Justin Trudeau as prime minister, are completely different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, different, different political parties, different uh, points in history, uh, different ways they grew up. And and yet Biden got along with both of them, eh? Yeah. yeah. And that's it. That's the secret sauce to him. That's the story going back to the state dinner and and talking and speaking to Mitch about working together. It's about... You know, it's about getting things done, but not, you know, in an isolationist way. And I think that the country is in need of healing right now. We're so divided as a country and that we actually need a new president that can bring our country together as much as the frustration that the left or the right have with each other. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is we have to understand each other and find the point of compromise. And it was in John F. Kennedy's book, Profile of Courage, that he said compromise is is, is not a bad word. It, it is courage and sometimes coming together and making those kinds of decisions. And so I think, um, I think that this is an example, the Harper-Trudeau kind of relationships, regardless of who's in power in in Ottawa. And I've always said when I was there, regardless of who occupies the White House or who occupies 24 Sussex, nothing will come between the U.S. and Canada. Well, boy, (laughs) was I wrong about that. I mean, oh, my God. And I never envisioned that given the long history of our of our two countries. But I think it's a this is a a strong point globally. I I was just on a call with uh, uh, Ambassador Susan Rice and um, African um, and ambassadors and reaching out in Africa and then a subsequent call with Democrats abroad. And I think to her point in talking about the need for the United States to engage in a, in a different way uh, internationally and to earn trust back. But the number one way we have to earn trust back is we have to change the way our behavior is at home. Because if we don't straighten up the way we treat our press and the freedom of press, the freedom of the rights of, of uh, people of color, of different sexual orientation. If we don't protect our own environment and uh-huh. hold ourselves to those standards, it sure is going to be hard to go around the world to, to be an influencer and a collaborator on these types of initiatives. And so, you know, I think that's what we have to do. I guess I will just also add that, you know, I think Joe Biden has mastered the ability for human connection. He's a master at connecting with people on a human level. Right. He has extraordinary empathy. He has been through a lot of huge life tragedies himself. And I think our country right now, as Bruce mentioned, is in deep need of healing. People need to be heard they need to be seen they need to be they need to be cared for and we need to start to rebuild the sense of community and um you know the sense of stabilizing this whirlwind and this you know tsunami of bad news that we've been receiving um as relates to the pandemic and then also you know just the concerns for the future there's so many people here that are very concerned about their economic future Mm -hmm. they're very very, very concerned about the future, their healthcare needs being met. They're concerned about the light, the, the air they're going to breathe in their environment. They're concerned about democracy itself right. and maintaining and securing and protecting democracy. And um, these are, you know, this is, these have always been the essential American principles. And I think, you know, that's why you're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of st- of stripe on the street because people are destabilized by what's happened and they're trying to find footing. And I think Joe is the kind of person that can help us to, can help us calm ourselves and can Mm -hmm. help us on the footing. And one thing I want to add is that it's not just Joe solo. Joe knows what Joe knows, but Joe is going to surround himself with some of the best and brightest political leaders, community leaders, scientists, 
healthcare healthcare leaders, progressive folks that really have a sensitivity to the things that we just mentioned and how we can provide more equity in our country to those who, you know, have had all the opportunities and those who have been challenged for many, many years in trying to take care of their families. So that's, you know, that's one of, that's one of the reasons that I feel for me, I'm working so hard every day. Um, Pro Joe, and we can go on the negative, you know, we could go down the negative Trump train, but right now, <laughs> we're on the positive Joe train because we we all can, you know, hammer away at those things in a, a list as long as our arms and three legs yeah. <laughs> with that. But right now, you know, what I want to convey to listeners, I want to convey what an incredibly, what a person of high character, what a person of empathy, and what a person of great leadership. Joe is and how that, you know, people should be, feel very comfortable with who he's going to surround himself with. You mentioned him working with the, the prime minister of Canada, prime ministers of Canada. Have, have you seen him interacting with other world leaders as well? I've seen it only from a distance as many of the listeners here would have seen, but he, you know, look, he clearly, we all, we should all know that being a senior Senator on the foreign relations committee in the Senate, and his interactions are well known that he has uh, traveled around the world extensively and also took over much of the international side that the Obama Biden team, you know, tackled as the president was handling domestic initially domestic issues in a pretty substantive way. Right. And yeah. And so the Biden team. Yeah, the vice president would handle much of Latin America and South America, much of the issues that were going on in the, in the middle East. And I know was, was also involved in the, the Iranian, um, you know, negotiations that were taking place as well as trade negotiations. He always mm-hmm. had his finger in these mm-hmm. trade negotiations and TPP. And he's a collaborator. Mm-hmm. He's a multilateralist. He's a, he, he, he is uh, a person that comes together and listens to other world leaders and understands their country. And look, you know, it, the, the contrast between a Joe Biden and a Donald Trump couldn't be right. any more stark. Right. I mean, given the comments that the president, which I'm not going to even repeat those words about blank whole countries in, oh my God, yeah. in Africa, yeah. right? A whole continent. A he whole continent. The, he threw a whole continent under the bus. And Joe worked directly on African issues. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's this is this is so, so different on an international basis that that I think that if you live outside the United States and you're an American, there's no more important time. And I, boy, I know they say that every election. Every election is the most important. <laughs> but this American experiment that we have so enjoyed and lived and prospered under is under right. extraordinary threat. And right. every day it's getting worse. And even, you know, people say it's only less than 100 days to the election. I, every day I get nervous about what Donald Trump is doing to democracy within the United States and his treatment of our allies and friends around the world and his embracing thugs. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, if you're an American anywhere in the world today, this is your moment. If you have a voice about what you're worried about in terms of the future of the planet, your vote is your voice. That is the most important voice you will have. And our elections are tight in the United States. People don't realize how tight they are. I mean, Michigan was lost by less than 11,000 votes. People even remember back in Bush versus Gore, that was like 500, less than 500 votes in Florida. Yeah. And, and we, we have about seven or eight, well, probably four or five um, predicted battleground states and probably seven or eight battleground states where it's going to be razor thin margins. Yeah. So if you, you know, use Canada, for example, um, we believe that there is many as six and a half million eligible voters worldwide, worldwide. And in Canada, it could be as many as a million. Yeah. Um, and what the, our, you know, our call to action is that we, it, in 2016, it was less than 7% of that 6.5 million Americans living internationally voted. If we could just double that percentage, we could 
bring half a million new voters into the system. That would more than cover the margins in these battleground states. So you talk about your your vote having an outsized impact. I mean, these are people that really their future, even though they're living outside the United States, their future and the future of the country that they're living in is directly tied to the results of this election. So it's not a time that you can sit home on a global stage Mm -hmm. as a global citizen. And it's not a time that you can sit home and think that your vote is not necessary. Your vote doesn't count. And there, I'll just say that there is extraordinary urgency around getting registered. If you're living outside the United States and extraordinary urgency about voting early. Because as we know, um, there is a, going to be an extraordinary number of mail-in ballots in this upcoming election because of COVID. All ballots coming from outside the United States um, are mail-in ballots. No, that's not true. Well, not, the mail- it depends on the state. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. states allow you to vote by email or fax. That's but true. By, that's not that's all of them. true. Not <laughs> states have to be mailed in right 30 states you can email in but the long and short of it or fact (laughs) is that you know we're about these ballots will start being sent to folks outside the country on september 19th 19th. right and the, the, the ask is get registered now get your ballot on september 19th if it doesn't come follow it up and right. then please return it ASAP and get ahead of the fray. So it's exactly. really important that, you know, people understand that it's not that hard. It's basically just going to the website votefromabroad.org and entering your former U.S. address and following the prompts and getting your ballot and then returning it. So if you've never if voted you, before in the U.S. election and you're a U.S. citizen, you can vote. If you don't own property in the United States and you think that that's required, you don't need to own any property in the United States. You can vote. If you're a dual citizen. If you're a dual citizen, mm-hmm. you, you can, can vote in the United States of America. And you need to register and request your ballot every year. Yes. And so if you think you did it a few years ago and you're good, you're not good. So go to votefromabroad.org. And if you have any questions, it's great. They have a help desk right there for you. And you can go right to the help desk, ask questions. They also have those FAQs, those frequently asked questions to help you through the process. Um, But the fact of the matter is, I truly believe that we could win all the swing states with Americans from abroad. Yes, that's true. That's how close it is. And I think we can move some of these Democratic Senate races with votes from abroad. Think about Maine and the people who live just across the border in Canada. Or think about Arizona and the people who live in Mexico that are Americans that have the right to vote in Arizona or Texas. Think about the Dominican uh, Republic and the 250,000 Americans that are there that may be tied to Florida. And think about other places in the world. Everybody has the right to vote. Your vote is your voice, and you need to register now from vote from abroad. So you guys have both been doing a lot of work to mobilize this vote worldwide. Do you want to tell us some of the specific initiatives you've begun? Sure. And and as a bit of background, while we were in Canada, we recognized, wow, there are a lot of Americans here. And we were out (laughs) trying to to educate the Americans, both in 16 and then in 18 on a nonpartisan basis. And then we actually did this analysis talking to both um, members of the U.S. government who were trying to calculate exactly how many Americans abroad and then Democrats abroad. We worked directly with uh, uh, Julia Bryan, the chair, and it turns out there are millions. Mm -hmm. We were were blown away. So we went to the Biden campaign and we made the case that the Biden campaign should focus on Americans living abroad as an important constituency in get out the vote. Yes. (laughs) And guess what happens? They started looking at the numbers and they started realizing that this is a critical segment of the American voter uh, populace that had Mm -hmm. never been appropriately focused on by any presidential campaign. Absolutely. They made the decision to prioritize Americans living abroad. And the good news is 
Uh, they embraced Democrats abroad as a primary vehicle to having what I call boots on the ground. They're kind of like our American soldiers in the get out the vote <laughs> effort. And in well, 45 countries with substantive organizations, 170 <laughs> countries with actually votes, six continents, although I'm sitting there wondering why only six. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm sitting here. And then we went out to all these former U.S. ambassadors and diplomats and partners and partners and said, we'd like you to go back to your not can't we can't travel, but go back to your host country virtually and speak to Americans in your host country and tell them about the importance of voting. And I'll tell you, we have ambassadors who served under Republican administrations, under Democrat administrations political ambassadors, career ambassadors, all joining in on this um, votefromabroad.org for Biden effort mm -hmm. that it is, Hundreds. we, we, have, we wow. had a Zoom Hundreds. call a couple weeks ago with about 200 participants wow. who, wow. Are, who are diplomats globally. and partners who wanted to help globally. And, I, and I'll tell you, just this last week, the former ambassador to uh, Mexico did uh, radio shows uh, um, all throughout Mexico. The former ambassador of the Dominican Republic was on doing significant radio shows. We're preparing op-eds and interactions for a number of European countries um, that are there. We have Asian countries, a lot of interaction and things that are going on from op-eds to Zoom calls to radio and television. And it's, it's exciting and we're feeling it. It's kind of palpable. The enthusiasm and excitement right. but at the end of the day an individual has to sit down and just do it and just, <laughs> just go to vote from abroad and register and then contact all your friends and family and do the same thing and make it go so, in a virus moment we need this to and, go viral and I, we're also looking to create a coalition of what we call voter champions individuals who not only are going to register and vote themselves but will engage others in their network and shepherd them along to do the same at votefromabroad.org. So it's just that idea of, you know, organizing where one person can get 10 other family or friends to register and ask those individuals to do the same. One person can impact, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100, 500 votes if they expand their network. Yeah. So um, Democrats Abroad does have a program as well called a Voter Champion Program. It's on their on their website. And so we ask you to, one, make a pledge yourself. You're going to vote, register and vote. But two, make yourself available to speak directly to your family, friends, and work cohorts, um, even if it's virtually, to engage in this kind of you know, network of, um, of voter champions. And I think that's going to be the key. Certainly ambassadors and partners, we can speak out through earned media and social media, and that's really important. But I think these personal conversations that I hope we're having with all your listeners right now. And yes, <laughs> Democrats around the world. Listeners, we are having a personal conversation with you right now and urging you to please go to a, a Org. And and I think it's not so much about, you know, the the, the uh, brow beating. It's about just sitting quietly, each person, and reflecting on what we can, we'll have to lose mm -hmm. if we have four more years of Donald Trump and what we've already lost and the prospect of recapturing what we have lost or at least part of what we've lost and starting to rebuild. And as Joe Biden says, build back better. And right. that's kind of his economic plan, his moniker for his economic plan. And that I think is the moniker plan. for yeah. the diplomatic plan is to rebuild and to build back better, not just, you know, looking to the past and looking at what's been done in the past, but building a coalition, a diverse coalition of people whose voices are heard, who can act and react and participate with them to build the America and to rebuild the America in the, in the way in which it is most equitable and, and build with, you know, demo, democracy and democratic intentions, mm -hmm. and lock arms with the world and regain that kind of stability that we had before. Well, and that kind of makes me think about um, like some of the ways that people talk about Joe Biden sounds like, you know, he gives really good hugs. Um, uh -huh. But, but I wonder what, what's some examples that, that you two have seen where he's, he's made some tough decisions and, and shown true leadership because it, yeah. it was required. Here's an interesting thing, and, and, and this is 
This is an interesting position that he negotiated for himself with President Obama. Okay. And I don't know how many people actually know this story or realize it. But the deal he made with President Obama is to be his vice president. He said, look, I I want to be your most important advisor, but I want one thing. And that is I want to be the last person you meet with to discuss the most important decisions that we face. Wow. That's smart. And I will sit in the room. I'll be part of the larger group. But when it comes down to making that last decision, I want to be there with you and tell you what I think. And that was an incredibly intelligent, insightful thing to do. And I think it's interesting with anybody who's a here on the phone who wants to be an advisor to someone else, you always want to be that last piece of advice. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you that from everything I heard, and I wasn't standing in that room for that last piece of advice, <laughs> everything I heard, there were no holds barred. He would make the most difficult recommendations on those last pieces of advice after listening and consolidating it in. And I actually think in some unusual way, that may have been the bat, one of the best preparations to be president. Yes, I agree. In, in, in being there for that moment, for the last decision that a president has to make. Now, clearly Barack Obama made all those last decisions because he was the president. Mm-hmm. But being there for the whole thought process, the situation rooms, the national security briefings, Yes, they, they, I know they read those national security briefings, (laughs) but consolidating that down and bringing that together and then making the proposal to the president as to the last best decision. um, I think that tells a lot about Joe Biden and where he's been and what his experience has been, but his ability to make, you know, well thought out decisions, even when they're the most difficult. And we know some of the challenges that the Obama administration faced from bin Laden to uh, oil wells leaking in the Gulf of Mexico that wouldn't stop to Ebola. Um, And yes, there was a potential pandemic in Mm -hmm. a significantly different in Mm -hmm. the Obama Biden administration. And, you know, and then there were obvious different crises around the world and tough negotiations over different things from joining Paris Accords to Iran Mm -hmm. negotiations to Mm -hmm. dealing with rogue actors in the world and things that you and I may never know about. Um, But, you know, he he's ready. But that's a, a lovely and revealing little story. And in a way, it shines a light on something that struck me when I listened, well, watched the the little conversation that was just shared online between Obama and Biden. Mm-hmm. And one of them said something like, we didn't do it that way when we were in office. And although it's linguistically correct to put it that way, it also struck me that there was that depth of shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, both of them speak in the term we and understand mm-hmm. the, 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 while the position is the position of president and vice president, that it's a collective we that are dealing with the challenges of, of, of the issues of the day. Mm-hmm. And then that's very different from just one letter difference. In fact, just flipped mm-hmm. upside down from <laughs> we to me. Yep. And, and, you know, I got a guy, everything is about me. Everything, yes. everything yes. is about me. I'm looking at this pandemic relief package that just came out of at least the Republican proposal for this next round. And all of a sudden I got all this stuff in here for the Trump family and the FBI headquarters over mm-hmm. by the hotel and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it's just, it's sickening. And we've, we've got to come back to we. We've got to come back to we within the United States. And we have to come back to we outside the United States and embracing our friends and allies around the world and understanding that if you need to tackle the things that we have before us, a pandemic, climate change, these are the kinds of things that are not done by one country and, alone. And I think also one thing I, I was thinking about as it relates to Vice President Biden, I mean, he has had a front row seat for 
decades, American politics and leadership. And you think about, you know, being in the White House for eight years and the, the, the um, challenges that Bruce mentioned and being part of the team, the action team that implemented the solutions, sitting in the Senate and seeing, you know, when you have a Senate that works together and you have a Senate that compromises and a Senate that doesn't compromise, what role can you take? And I think in the selection of his running mate, in the selection of his team, he's going to be drawing from the most well-resourced group of people that any person running for president really um, could could um, access, mm-hmm. given years and depth of experience and the way people feel about him, that mm-hmm. they want to be part of it, that they want to help him, that they know their voices will be heard. It's not just you know a rubber stamp uh, placeholder for some kind of you know uh, authoritarian rule. This is a person who collaborates and listens and is going to sele- has good judgment in the people he's going to select to help implement the solutions. And, and that's a comfort. That's a big comfort. So I imagine that the people who are very disappointed that Bernie Sanders is not our nominee will find everything you've just said and, and have said for the last half hour quite reassuring. Is there anything specific that you could that you can offer to them to make make them more comfortable about voting for the person that they wouldn't have chosen to be our nominee. You know, it's, it's, it's always frustrating. And I, and I have been there before in various political races where I supported a specific candidate and my candidate didn't make it and feelings are hurt. And I wish, and I had only this gone down a different path, could have been different, mm-hmm. but we're at, we're at this critical moment and you, you can look at this through two lenses. Uh, the first lens is we know what we have. And if we get a repeat of what we have, it's going to be the extreme of what we've already seen mm-hmm. because there will be no guardrails and the damage that is being done to the United States into the world is incalculable. And the third and, branch of government is also at stake. And I think the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court is is hugely, yeah. hugely, not just hugely at term. Yes, yes, multiple yes. That, is, that is forever. That is for, you know, as long as the life, life of those life. individual nominees. And we are, yeah, so that and, goes. And, and that's a critical point. Yep. But if you were just looking at it of voting against someone, I can still understand sometimes sitting on the sidelines. But I can also tell you that Joe Biden will be the most progressive Democrat ever to have sat in that seat. Mm -hmm. He has fully embraced, he has fully embraced climate as an issue. Mm -hmm. And you look at this climate plan that comes out, it is so much more progressive and aggressive in uh, clean energy than the Obama-Biden administration was, which was also very progressive. Mm-hmm. And we'll be rejoining the world body in this, but being a leader in that. In terms of people of color, we're at a crisis moment in the country. Yeah, And I will tell you, if you want to heal those wounds and bring people together and get recognized for 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 the differences that we have and cherish those and respect those, this is your man. He has people of different um, sexual preferences and orientations that he will completely embrace. And I know people who were sworn in by him as gay couples who went out in the world as ambassadors who are fighting for him every, every turn. And I know how closely he worked with Bernie and team to come together to reach agreement on a consolidated working agreement that also included Elizabeth Warren and her team on the economic front. So is he the one that you wanted at the beginning? No. Is he the one that you need to support now? Yes. Mm -hmm. Will you be comfortable in a world under Joe Biden? I will say you will be comfortable. And if we don't get Joe, I, I can only tell you the, the damage that will be done. I just don't even know how we'll repair it mm-hmm. from climate to misogyny, to racism, to white supremacy, support to the Confederate flag. We can go on and on and on, but it's time yeah. and it's time to stand up. And 
I will tell you this, a, a perfect example of the Biden campaign embracing Democrats abroad as an important ally in the world it should be a sign to everyone who's listening here of the intention of this man and his organization to bridge any divide that is, has ever occurred within the Democratic Party and to bring it under one roof, and we're all in this together. And if all the stories that we've told you today about the man who works across the aisle, the man who understands the differences, he is a man that has seen and felt the challenges of our society and watched some of the hard work done by the previous administration get thrown under the bus. He's, he's our man and this is the time. And I think, I, you know, I would just say kind of one line, our democracy, our environment, our family, our businesses, and our health are in peril. And we yep. need every single American eligible to vote across this globe to participate and remember that their individual voice and their individual vote is essential to righting the wrongs of our current time. And we really, it's, it's, a, it's a call to action and it's really a plea to, you know, not stand by and on principle because, you know, maybe this guy is not progressive enough for you or your guy didn't win, so why should I participate? No. Just remember that we need to protect what we all love and that is our freedom and our democracy. And that is why we are hustling so hard and that's why every American no matter where you reside, should be hustling hard to preserve what we love. Thank you. That's, yeah, no, that's absolutely fabulous answer. Yep, I'm speechless. All right, we better stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, we we think about this on a daily, on a no, not daily. Maybe it's minute by minute basis. Minute by minute, yeah, on minute basis. Conversations <laughs> in our own head individually, and then together, and with many friends, we spend hours and hours on on Zooms and in, in conversations like this. And you know, we want to thank you for giving us and giving Americans the opportunity to have this, have these conversations, and. Um, you know, this pandemic has kept us apart physically, but we have to, you know, unite in this virtual space to challenge each other to participate and to, you know, come together as a community, global community, to kind of move forward in the way that we know we should. So right. Agreed. And actually, that gives me an opportunity to bring it back to Canada. <laughs> Well, which love, is love Canada. dear, dear to all our hearts. Is there anything that you learned from your time here or anything you'd want to say to Americans living specifically in Canada? Just, um, yeah, just want to throw it open to, to thoughts that are specific to where we are, where, where David and I are at the moment. So a lot of countries are next door to other countries all around the world. They're next door to somebody. The United States could not be more fortunate and more blessed to have our neighbor to the north as our next door neighbor. We, we never say thank you enough to Canada for being there for us at every twist and turn. And Canada has been there for us in our most difficult moments, whether it's 9-11 or whether it's hostage crisis uh, that we experienced in Iran yeah. or being there when we have fires and storms, who are the first to arrive? It's the Canadians. They're there. They're there to help their next door neighbor, their American friends. And I tell you, you have sacrificed life and limb uh, for your next door neighbor. You've sacrificed treasure and you have done it because you've embraced us as your friend neighbor. You are our ally. Yes, you are a great trading partner. And um, we share resources together. But at the end of the day, we are one thing. We're family. Mm -hmm. We are family. And you Americans who live in Canada, you exemplify that. There are more Americans living in Canada than any other country in the world outside the United States. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there yeah. are more Canadians living in America <laughs> than any other country outside of Canada. And so the reality is that every Canadian knows an American. 
They know somebody who's gone to school across the border. They know somebody who's married somebody across the border or has gone into business together. And we're, we're family. And so, look, you know, I guess there are different families times where families yeah. at the dinner table <laughs> <laughs> across the border, you know, like have these exactly. conversations about, about, um, about voter participation. And um, I just want to say about Canada, I am so grateful for the time that we spent living in Canada and really have the opportunity to come to know your country physically and also the extraordinary people from you know coast to coast to coast all across um, all across the country and we have so much that as Bruce mentioned that we appreciate about you and that we're thankful for but we also admire you in so many ways I mean the way in which that you specifically the way in which you're handling the pandemic the way in which you're leading on environment the way in which you've embraced you know a, a social gender safety diversity. net for your mm. you know for your citizens and uh, gender healthcare diversity and healthcare my and god we have so much we, to learn from you we, <laughs> I, I said Joe, I said we had a front row <laughs> yeah. seat to seeing how well <laughs> things were going and you know just being able to you know for us back home here in states to being able to point to that and in so many times I could point to you and say like kind of that's our that's our north star so you know I want to say thank you for holding on (laughs) (laughs) letting us you know we're we're having a a bit of a schism right now and um there's so we I want Canadians to remember that the United States of America like Canada is a very complex nation with lots of different people and just know that there are you know millions and hundreds of millions of people living in our country who don't to don't like what's going on, who appreciate the, who appreciate the kind of leadership, progressive leadership that you're demonstrating for the world. And, you know, we say thank you. And, you know, we just hope that in uh, another 99 or 98 days that we can uh, write the, the ship and come back together and celebrate all the wonderful things and the democratic values that we, that we've always shared. So mm-hmm. here, here. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Well, thank you, Vicki and Bruce Heyman, Mr. and Mrs. Ambassador, for joining us today. <laughs> it's been a real treat and a privilege to have you on the show. It's been our thank pleasure, you. and we've so enjoyed this time together, and we uh, look forward to doing more in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll, we'll call that a date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm Rachel Oyster with David Schellenberg in Ottawa, Canada. Thank you for listening to Democrats Abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe. Okay.